Great. When I, when I um, was coming in earlier, I just noticed on the wall over there, the children have a, a display of British values. And um, I was thinking this isn't so much a value, but it's certainly um, a characteristic of the UK at the moment. It's that of uncertainty. Um, I don't know. I give you the word Brexit. I don't know whether you're uh, still very exercised by everything that's going on or not going on or whether you've just got plain bored of it like I have. Um, but Brexit and all that's come with it brings with it great uncertainty, doesn't it? Uh, and then we live with uncertainties of other types. Perhaps if you're a parent, you might think the prospect of raising children in this generation is terrifying with all the changes that are going on around us. Uh, maybe you personally live with a health condition or you know someone who does, and that leaves you with great uncertainty about the future. And it, it can make you worried. Uh, maybe you've got financial concerns. Will I have enough money to support my family in the future? Maybe job concerns. But maybe the, the word uncertainty sort of covers our culture at the moment, particularly in this country. And there's lots and lots of reasons to be uncertain. There's lots of reasons to doubt. Uh, for me, one of the hardest parts of being a Christian is unanswered prayer. And that feeds our doubts and our frustrations sometimes. And uncertainty makes us, it can make us joyless. It can steal our joy. Uncertainty can make us frustrated or afraid. And then, of course, there's spiritual uncertainty, isn't there? Um, even if you're a person who says, I know Jesus and I follow him, you'll have doubts. I know Jesus, I follow him, but I have doubts. Um, I was thinking of uh, the story of Mark chapter 9, where there's a man who has a son who is demon-possessed. And just before Jesus heals him, um, he's having a dialogue with Jesus. And the man says to Jesus, I believe, do you know the scripture? Help me with my unbelief. And so just because we're believers, if, we, if you are a believer and trusting in Christ, doesn't mean you're immune from doubt and uncertainty. And this passage is a wonderful passage because it teaches us something about what it looks like and means to be a resilient disciple, a resilient follower of Christ. How do we continue to follow him when we face uncertainties and when we face doubts? And so I want this afternoon to use this passage to help us, in a sense, to doubt our doubts. And the way that we doubt our doubts is by believing truths and being sure of them. And uh, this passage is full of wonderful encouragements. We're just going to look at three of them, and um, they'll come one at a time on the screen. Uh, if you're not a Christian, then these are not encouragements that will be true for you, but they can be true for you if you put your trust in this person, Jesus. So let's come to them together. Here's the first one. Um, when you walk in the room today, did you know this truth that's on the screen behind me? Uh, did you know just how incredibly loved you are? It's a sort of cliche, oh, we're all loved, but do you really know how loved you are? There's no one in the world who has a fingerprint like you. Nobody. Because you're unique, you're made in the image of God. And God wants to say to you, as he wants to say to me today, you are infinitely loved. And how do we know that? Because Jesus died for us. If you have a look in the passage there, do you see, we're going to go back just slightly from um, the passage that was read to verse 19. The context is the disciples are scared witless. Jesus had been crucified. They were afraid that because they were associated with Jesus, they too might be captured and crucified themselves. And we read verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Just imagine you were there. Okay, Judas isn't there. Judas Iscariot, he had betrayed Jesus. Peter was there. The one who'd famously said, if everyone else falls away and stops trusting, I won't. <laughs> and yet three times he disowned Jesus. And he's there. Uh, we have Thomas, who we're going to come and look at shortly. Doubting Thomas. Thomas who had all sorts of doubts. 
And so these disciples are feeling failures and these disciples are feeling like they're doubters. And yet Jesus meets failing doubters and says something incredible to them. Notice what he says, verse 19. The first thing he says when he appears to them after he's risen, peace. If I was Jesus and I'd been abandoned by all my mates, that's not the first thing I'd be saying to them when I saw them again. But that's the first thing Jesus says to them, peace. And I don't think it was a kind of throwaway line, kind of, hey, how are you doing? Because two verses later, he repeats it. Verse 21, he says, peace again, peace be with you. How can he speak peace to these disciples who are uncertain, who are fearful? Um, verse 19, peace. Verse 21, peace. What's in the middle? Have a look at verse 20. After he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand, where the nails had been driven, and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. The reason that the risen Jesus can say peace, not just knowing about peace, but you can know peace in all your doubt and uncertainty is because of what comes in the middle. I died for you. I love you. So you think of some of those wonderful Bible verses that tell us just how loved we are. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But Jesus Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous, the one who never did anything wrong, for the unrighteous, you and me, all the things we do wrong, to do what? To bring us to God. Or you think of um, my favourite verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates, he shows us his love in this, while we were still sinners, while we still rejected him and ran off in a different direction, he died for us. It's a very personal, personal truth. And not only does he then say, you can have peace because I died for you, but notice too, he takes these doubting um, failures and he says to them, verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus doesn't pick people who are sorted and have it together, who never fail him. He takes people who doubt and who fail and who feel weak. I suspect that's most of us. And he says, and I've got a job for you. You are going to take this incredible message of peace to a lost and broken world. And not only are you going to do it, but I'm going to be with you as you do it. So look at verse 22. I'll equip you for the task. He breathed on them and said... Receive the Holy Spirit. God promises to dwell, to live amongst people who put their trust in Jesus. So I want to encourage you here at Town Church. It's a bit of a throwaway, oh, you're loved by God. But just for you to know, 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 really know that you're loved by God and that he died for you. Didn't just die for sin in a general sense, died for you. And we're going to come and see a bit later on one of the disciples who came to grasp that wonderful truth. Well, there's the first one. Here's the second one, which kind of builds on it. Um, I'd love you to know that there's evidence. This passage teaches us that there's evidence and that God's word is trustworthy. Have a look at Thomas, verse 25. He comes to the other disciples and he's full of joy and he says, we've seen the Lord. We've seen him. He's come back to life. And then we read in verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I think sometimes we may misunderstand verse 29. We sometimes might read verse 29 and think it is saying this, um, faith without evidence is greater or better than faith with evidence. But the truth is, faith is not the absence of evidence. 
If you read the Oxford Dictionary, it says faith is strong beliefs based on conviction. And faith is that, but it's more than that. Strong beliefs based on conviction, but more than just conviction, also based on truth that we can be sure of. And let me try and illustrate faith for you. Uh, you guys are all sitting on a chair. Um, I have a chair here, slightly different to the chair you're sitting on. I'm a little nervous that if I sit on that chair, it won't hold my weight. I'm just not sure about it. I know you're sitting on a chair, but I'm not sure. I'm going to try, but if I fall down, you need to promise to pick me up because I'll feel a bit stupid, okay? And in my uncertainty, I'm not really sure I can place my faith in this chair. And yet, you know what happens. When I sit down, <laughs> it holds me. Why? Because a chair is objectively strong enough to hold me. It was made to hold me. And so it doesn't matter if I've got lots of faith that this chair can hold me, uh, or no faith at all. The point is the chair holds me. Why? Because it's a chair. I've got in my pocket a balloon. Let me just blow it up. Now, I've got a lot of faith that this is a very, very strong balloon. Very strong balloon. I've got all the faith in the world that if I sit on it, it will hold me. But it doesn't. Why? Because a balloon isn't designed to carry my weight. You see, I can have all the faith in the world that the balloon will hold me, but it doesn't because it's a balloon. The thing about faith, it's not about how much of it we have, it's all about where we place it. And in this passage here, Jesus is wanting his disciples to recognise that in their doubts and in their failures, their faith, their trust, is placed in someone who's utterly trustworthy. Not in the chair, but in the balloon, to follow uh, the illustration. But of course, this is tricky, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that probably says, listen, if you think you've got certainty about anything, that's um, naive, perhaps even arrogant. What, you really think that you'll just be forgiven for everything you've ever done wrong by this figure that no one can ever see, and he probably didn't exist anyway. Naive and maybe arrogant. That's what the culture says. And yet Jesus wants to speak to our hearts and say, no, 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 you can be sure. That verse 29 that we often misread, the context of it is those wonderful words in 30 and 31. And the little cards you have on your seat, which sort of summarise this series, these are the words that are printed on that card. Perhaps you could have a look at it. It says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What do signs do? They point us to something, don't they? And all the way through John's Gospel, we see different signs. They're miracles that point us to who Jesus is. Um, if I went up the road and I saw a, a big yellow M sign, I would know it's a sign pointing me towards where I can get disgusting food. Well, Jesus performs lots of miracles, and they are miracles or signs that point us to him. Remember, faith is not about how much of it you have. Faith is all about where you place your trust. And of course, what Jesus is saying here is, friends, you know that I'm alive. You know that it's me, and you're not seeing an illusion or a ghost. You know it's me. Why? Because I told you. If you had a Bible, you could just flick back to chapter 14. And Jesus here is speaking to his disciples and he says in chapter 14, verse 28, 
This is before he dies on the cross. He says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back to you. Now, how on earth are they going to trust that the one who says he's going away is going to come back? Why? Because he's performed signs which point us to who he is. And the signs prove that he's trustworthy because everything he said would happen has happened. And so not only do I want you to know that you're loved, Jesus died for you, I want you to know that there's evidence that can be trusted. God's word is always trustworthy. And then finally, look at this last final truth. Know that you're secure in the love that God has for you. Because what we see in this passage is a wonderful story of the patience of God. Have a look at 25 to 27. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. He's in other words, he's saying, you can tell me he's alive, but until I see him, I'll never believe. A week later, Jesus, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the door was locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Don't you think it's extraordinary that here is a disciple who's afraid, who's a failure, who doubts, and Jesus doesn't come and rebuke him. I don't think it's the tone of, stop, believe, um, stop doubting, believe, you idiot. I don't think it's that tone. The tone is much more a sense of, stop doubting and believe. You can trust me, because I told you this would happen, and it has happened. And so doesn't that encourage you when you, like me, doubt, or when you, like me, are afraid? Jesus doesn't meet you with a rebuke. He meets you with incredible patience, love, peace be with you. And then notice verse 28. What happens when Jesus in his love meets our doubts with peace that he offers us? Thomas exclaims something, the most wonderful words in the whole Bible. My Lord and my God. Now just to grasp how significant those words are. If you know anything of John's Gospel, go right back to the beginning of John's Gospel. Chapter 1, verse 1. It's a, a reading, it's often read at Christmas time. Maybe you'll know these words as I speak them. John's Gospel starts like this In the beginning was the Word. It's speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So right at the beginning of John's Gospel, we're introduced to this incredible cosmic truth that Jesus has always existed. That's the truth of who he is. And yet, as we go through John's Gospel, we see these different signs that prove to us that he is who he's declared to be at the beginning of John's Gospel. And then very near the end of John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 28, what does Thomas exclaim? My Lord and my God. In other words, this kind of cosmic truth of who Jesus is becomes a truth that's real to Thomas by the end. It's, it's one thing to say, I believe that God exists. It's a completely different thing to say, he is my God. A completely different thing to say, he is my Lord. There's a way that we can know God in a personal way. And you see, if you're here 
and you haven't yet trusted in him. He's not asking you to believe in some philosophy. He's not asking you to believe in some distant God who's unknowable and doesn't frankly really care about you. He's asking you to trust in the God who's real and personal. And when you read these incredible words of Thomas here, my Lord and my God, the living God wants each of us to be able to say those words with the same confidence. My Lord and my God. Doesn't this passage give you amazing encouragement that when we doubt and we fail, the incredible thing is God is the one who will sustain our faith and keep us trusting in him. See, faith is not about how much of it I have or how strong it is. It's about the object in which I place my trust. And see, if I put my trust in Jesus, who's always dependable, it doesn't matter if my faith goes up and down through life with the highs and lows of being a follower of Christ. He is dependable. But if I trust in anything or anyone else, it will always let me down because it's not him. So take courage that God will keep you trusting if you do trust. Not because you're strong, but because he's strong. But then what about this other wonderful encouragement? Doesn't, as you think, Town Church Bista, as you think about being witnesses to this town that's growing rapidly, as you think about witnessing to a family member who has a hard heart, or maybe a work colleague who has doubts and is sceptical, isn't it an amazing encouragement that you take this doubting, sceptical man, Thomas, and when the grace of God meets him, he becomes not doubting Thomas, but kind of transforms Thomas. Doesn't that give you and me hope in our witness that no heart, however hard it is, no heart that is as sceptical as it is, can't be transformed by this amazing grace? Um, there's a few empty seats around the church, and this church exists for the sake of the people who aren't yet here. And I suspect as you seek to witness to your neighbours and family members and people who live around here, lots of them will be sceptical and doubt. But when they meet Jesus and they come to understand the amazing grace that he offers, these seats will get filled, filled with doubters who came to believe. And so, to finish, as we continue to live in a world full of uncertainty, and in many ways, from what we can see, uncertainty will only get worse, how can we be a resilient disciple? How can we be a follower of Jesus that keeps going through all the ups and downs of life and through all our doubts and our worries and our failures? by clinging to these three wonderful truths isn't it knowing that we're loved because jesus died for us knowing that there's evidence the bible and god's word is trustworthy and perhaps most importantly of all knowing that we're secure because he's patient with us and when we doubt him and fail him he will never ever fail us your love god keeps going and going and going and going and it's his love that will sustain us in our mission as we seek to reach out to a broken world. So I don't know many of you, and I don't know whether you came here having had a great week or a really difficult week, but I know that if you're like me, you'll doubt. May God bless you with this passage and help you to not doubt as you trust in the incredible love and peace that only Christ can give you. Can I pray for you as a church? Loving Lord, we come to you now and we don't pray hoping that you might be listening. 
We don't pray thinking that maybe you're just too busy. We pray with confidence because you love to hear your children speak to you. And Lord, we've all got doubts. We all fail like the disciples. We all feel weak. Just in a moment of quiet, why don't we all just lift before the Lord the areas of our life where we doubt, where we feel we're failures, where we feel we can't keep going. And Lord, as we think of these situations that are on our minds and our hearts in this moment, we want to speak into our hearts too these wonderful words of Jesus. Peace be with you. Father, thank you for the peace that we can have through trusting in Jesus. Peace to carry us through the ups and downs of life, but more importantly, peace to know that for all the ways we've failed the living God, Jesus died on a cross for us that we might be forgiven. Thank you that that peace is a peace that transcends all understanding. It's a peace that holds us secure. And so, Father, I pray for each of us here who know and love you, that that peace would indeed hold us this week and that you would send us out from here with a burning longing in our heart to share this peace and this love with the people around us who don't yet know you. And Father, for any here who maybe deep in their hearts know that they're not right with the God who made them, who don't yet have that eternal peace, confidence of what happens when we die I pray father that you would show them just how much you love them and that when Jesus hung on a cross you hung on the cross for each of us that we might be forgiven father we ask that you would fill us afresh with your spirit and help send us out this week in whatever we're going to do full of your peace and full of that wonderful assurance and hope that you are with us lord would you bless this church here in Bicester would you bless their witness to this town and please may they keep growing as they fix their hearts and minds firmly on the living God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus who died but who rose again. Amen. Well, as we uh, finish our service, we're going to sing two songs, two songs that lift our eyes to the living God, lift our eyes to Jesus who we've just been learning about. So shall we stand and Let's encourage each other with these words as we close our service together. Cool, do, um, do grab a seat. Just um, for a few moments towards the end, just to help us to kind of apply and, and think through some of the things we've been looking at. I wonder if uh, you could just pop up the the slides were just the, the three um, things we looked at. Great. Uh, if you've got a Bible, just turn um, to the end of John's Gospel, please, um, to chapter 21. just want to set up a couple of questions for us, maybe just to reflect on our own or turn in twos and threes and just have a few moments thinking about. Do you see, if you've got a Bible open, John chapter 21. So the next chapter, the last chapter, come to verse 24. Um, John here is speaking. John is one of Jesus' friends. He's therefore one of the eyewitnesses. And he says uh, of himself, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. 
So what John is saying is, I was there and I saw and I wrote it down. And then he finishes the gospel saying, look, Jesus did tons of other stuff. There's no way we could write it all down because there wouldn't be enough space in the books. But then go back to chapter 20, to the verse we did look at. Verse 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs, miracles, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Again, he couldn't write it all down. But he wrote some things down. And why did he write them down? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here's two things to reflect on, and they were the little applications that came right towards the end of the words I shared. What I'd love you to do is to reflect on those two verses and just think back through John's Gospel. Maybe there's a story you can remember where Jesus performs a sign, a miracle, and ask yourself, what does that sign tell me about him? Just like a big McDonald's sign points us to where we can get food. What does the sign, the miracle, tell us about Jesus? And how does that give you confidence in being able to trust him this week? Okay? So just turn to the person next to you. Think of a sign and ask yourself the question, how does this sign give me confidence that I can trust in Jesus this week? Let's just spend a few moments reflecting on that and uh, trying to apply some of the things that this passage teaches us.